Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Well, last week we started a, a, a new series of talks that we're calling Thin Spaces. And um, what we began to talk about last week was the fact that through Jesus, any dry place can turn into a thin space. That all throughout Scripture, there's moments where there seemed to be a very narrow margin between what was happening in heaven and what was being experienced on earth. And Jesus has given us access into any place that we find ourselves to be a thin space that we can ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be open. And, and so we started leaning into the truth that there's a connection between our expectation and our encounter. That we, we have to live expecting that God is going to do amazing things among us because we live in a thin space. Like every place can be a thin space. And honestly, where we want to go this morning is we want to talk about how not just are our thin spaces supposed to be momentary. We're not supposed to have moments of encounter that we're called actually to dwell there. That we're supposed to live in a thin space, not not just have moments of thin spaces, but that we're to live there, dwell there, stay there, that there's to endure. They're not to be momentary, but but enduring and lasting. And I want us to start by looking at Psalms 15 because David asks a very important question for us in Psalms 15. He basically says, God, how do I stay in this thin space? It opens verse one, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? You remember last week we talked about the Holy of Holies. This is what he's referring to. That place where the presence of God resided that Jesus gave us access to when he died on the cross and conquered death and then rose back to life so that we could have access to the glory of God, not in part, but in full, because Jesus paid the final sacrifice of our sin. How can we stay in the sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And then he goes on and he lines out for us how we can dwell, how we can stay, how these thin spaces cannot be momentary encounters, but lasting, enduring lifestyles. He says, the one whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart and, has no, and whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest and who does not accept a bribe, bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things, now listen, this last sentence, whoever does these things, can you read it with me? Will never be 
shaken. Can we read that again? And can you have a little bit more gusto? Act like it's sunny outside, like it's warm, like we're going to the beach after this or something, right? Let's just read that. Will never be shaken. David is telling us that there's a connection in our righteousness and our rootedness. Do these things. Basically, David is lining out for us who can dwell in the sacred tent, who can hang out in that holy place, who can remain, who can stand on the mountain. And then he lists out what a righteous life looks like. Righteousness is, is, a, is a church word. It's a theological term for, for living right, for doing right. There's a connection in our righteousness in our rootedness. When we live this way, when we live righteously, then we will never be shaken. David goes on and basically sums up what took him four verses to define in Psalm 15. In one sentence in Psalm 24, he says this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. There's a connection in our righteousness and our rootedness. And, and I just want to say that we are entering into a season of close encounters. We're entering into a season of thin spaces. And we want to be a church that dwells there, that dwells in the sacred tent, that remains on the mountain. So I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to look deep into their eyes. All right? I want you to really just look into their eyes. I want you to tell them, I am here to stay. Tell them. That's right, looking at me, bro. Me and you, bro. Hey, can we just pray together? Jesus, we, we invite you to come and to take this time and to lead it. God, I, I just pray that right now that you would get me out of the way and that everything that you want to say through your word would be heard, God, and that your story would be told, Jesus. And we're just overwhelmed we get to be here together. Even on this rainy day, God, we just say that what an honor it is to be able to come together and, and to enjoy your presence together as a community. And Lord, we're asking that you would move and do something in us, that this place really would be an enduring thin space. In Jesus' name, everybody said. I, I'm the kind of guy that needs a hobby. Anybody else need a hobby? Yeah, like I need some, I, I, I love to like, go real deep into things like I am the the nerd that watches documentary after documentary after documentary right like it's hard Liz will make fun of me often uh, about how it's hard to have a conversation with me where I don't end up saying in some capacity oh I read an article about that or oh I brought the, I watched a documentary about that like I love to to like deep dive into things that I get into. Like, I don't just like to hang out on the surface on them. I like to deep dive into them. I, I love to obsess about my hobbies. And the one that I've obsessed about right now is archery. Like, I love competitive archery. Like, I watch videos on competitive archery. I watch how-to videos on archery. Like, I love archery. I shoot almost every single day. I bought my son a bow so that I could justify spending so much time outside deep diving because I'm like, we're doing it together, kind of. Like, I, I love to deep dive into archery. Now, when I first got into archery, like, I was super excited about the ability to hit a four-inch target. 
At 20 yards, if I could hit a four-inch target, I felt great about myself. Like, wow, man, I'm a great shot. That's amazing. And then you practice more and more and more. And archery is a little bit like golf from the standpoint. It's like it reps matter. Like you, you need to practice. You can't put your bow down just like you can't put your golf club down and then go play and expect that you're going to be accurate. That's not how it works. Like practice makes perfect. And also practice also reveals your imperfection. It seems like the more arrows that I shoot, the more inconsistent it reveals that I am. And, and, and so you have to practice, practice, practice. Now I get to the point where I'm pretty proficient at 20 yards shooting a four-inch target. So I'm like, let's make it a little harder. Let's make it a two-inch target. And so I practice, practice, practice. I get to the point where I feel pretty confident about hitting a two-inch target at 20 yards. And I'm like, you know what? Let's bring it down to an inch. Like, let's make it even smaller. Can I group arrows in an inch target at 20 yards? And to be honest with you, because humility is one of my strengths, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm really good. Some would say I'm a natural, okay? Or at least I would say that I'm a natural. Some of you guys didn't get that. You'll get it in a minute. But... In my pursuit of trying to perfect my skills at archery and, and trying to get more and more consistent, Tate and I started playing a little game. And we'd like to play that little game for you guys. You cool with that? Y'all want to see this little demonstration? All right, Tate, come on up here, bro. Tate is our oldest son. Tate, here you go. Here's your apple. Awesome. Now... This is a trigger. Now what this does is this keeps you safe. This is actually how you release the arrow. Now this is my bow, right? One of the reasons why I like bows is they look cool, okay? Like this, you just feel like a man when you're holding a bow. Now what I have here is an arrow, all right? This is a hunting arrow, actually. This is a hunting class arrow, which means that it shoots fast and far and hard. And so what Tate and I have been practicing in our backyard is he remains still. I'm going to go at 10 yards for the sake of our demonstration. I'm dang good at 20, so I'm really consistent at 10. I'm going to go over here, okay? And I'm going to shoot the I'm going to shoot up oh, Tate, that's a problem. Don't do that. I'm going to shoot the apple off of his head. All right? Okay, that's not what's supposed to happen here. Tate, you remember that one time we did this where you actually had to put your hand on top of the apple? Why don't you try that method? Make sure your fingers are really flat, though. Real flat. Flatten your fingers out. Move your pinky up. Up. There we go. All right. Okay. So here we go. You guys can be quiet. A little stressful. Of course. That was not supposed to happen. Of course I'm not going to do that. If you thought I was going to do that, what is wrong with you? Like, there's no thank you, Tate. You guys thank me for his courage, even though the arrow bounced out of my bow. Huh? Did it hit his toe? Well, that was a fail. It's a dangerous demonstration. Does somebody want this? We're giving away a bow. Okay, there we go. Of course I'm not going to do that. There's no way that I would ever pull a bow back and point it at somebody, no matter how confident
confident I am that I'm not going to miss. You want to know why? You want to know why I'm nervous to do it and why you're nervous to watch it? It's because it's easy to miss. It's not hard to miss your target. It's actually really, really, really easy to miss your target. That's why when Paul says in Romans 3.22 a truth that is real about all of us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our target is the glory of God. That's where we're aiming. And all of us have fallen short of that. We've all missed it. And our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 says that our iniquities have separated us from God. That, that literally that His face is, is hidden from us because of our sin. Sin is a separator. It, it separates us from God. And we all have experienced this. All of us have fallen short because it's not hard. To miss the target. It's actually really, really easy to miss the target. We all have fallen short. We, we've all missed the mark. We, we've all put our crosshairs on things that we should not. And we've realized that that separation from God, that consequence of our sin is real. From the time of Adam and Eve, the very first Separation caused by sin. Genesis, the story of creation, starts by God creating heaven and earth, and then He creates Adam and Eve, and He gives them just this amazing place to live where literally all of their needs are met. Not only that, they are living in a thin space. God is walking with them and talking to them, and, and, and He gives them one rule. You can have anything, but just don't eat the fruit of this tree. And you would think like, wow, Adam and Eve, how in the world, why would you make that decision? Why would you even be deceived? by the, Because it's easy to miss. It, it's not, it does not take a lot to get us to miss. Like we are very easily swayed off target it's not hard to miss it's easy to miss and because it's easy to miss and because sin entered the world when adam and eve did the very thing that god asked them not to do sin became here we're living in a sinful place the world is fallen broken we live in a deprived state and some of our dry Seasons, some of our valley seasons are because we live in a deprived world. We live in a broken world. But some of our valleys, some of our dry seasons is because we have brokenness in us. There's sin that is in us and that sin separates us from God. And Jesus came, the beautiful story that we call the gospel, we're in Easter season right now, this beautiful story that is the story of Jesus rescuing humanity is Jesus paying the price of what our sin has cost us. When we 
sin, when we do things that are outside of God's perfect plan for our lives, when we walk in unrighteousness and not righteousness, the consequence of that, according to Romans, is death. That something had to die. The wage of our sin is death. But the gift of God is Jesus. It's Christ Jesus. It's through Jesus' death on the cross that the penalty for our sin, my sin, is paid. That's why we call it good news. He made a way back for us even though we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have missed the target. We've all missed the mark. Jesus has made a way for us to repent of our sin, experience forgiveness, and then enter in, like we talked about last week, enter into that holy place, that sacred tent, that mountaintop with confidence. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us in spite of what we've done. That's the gospel. That Jesus came so that we could have a life that we don't deserve. That's truth. That's gospel truth. That's really, really, really good news. But hear me, just because we have a way back doesn't mean that that makes it harder to miss. No. It's still really easy to miss. Jesus made a clear path back for us regardless of our decisions. We can experience forgiveness and grace. The way back is clear. But the way forward is not free. They say the gospel is free. It's not free. It costs you everything. We need to come to clarity on that. Is that it costs us our lives. That there's a transfer of who we used to be and who Jesus is making us. The old is gone and the new has come. That when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus, salvation is instant, but sanctification, restoration, takes a lifetime. We're not, the longer you've walked with God, the clearer this truth is to you. The more history you have with God, the more years you have seeking God, you become clear that although you have been saved, bought with the price, your life is not your own. The freedom and the restoration process does not end at salvation. It begins. It's just the beginning of where God is taking us. Colossians 3 puts it this way. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. This is talking about how we have new life. We've been forgiven. Like our, that we've been brought back to life, new birth. That what we were was dead. And now that we've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, we're alive. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Put your target. Put the target on your heart on heaven. Aim at heaven. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You see the contrast. We can aim at heaven, things above, or at earth. 
This is talking to people who are raised with Christ. This is a conversation for those of us who have relationship with Jesus. And this is not a conversation for those who don't know Jesus. This is not like, oh, no, no, no. No, this does not end at salvation. It begins. That we have to set our mind. We have to set our heart. We have to focus. We have to put our our aim on heaven. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is again saying that, that we are a new creation. That, that there's an old you and in Jesus there's a new you. And then Paul writes for us here in Colossians how easy it is for us to still miss the mark. He says, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. This, This used to be who you are, but this isn't who you are anymore. So he goes on and he says, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. I love verse line. Do not lie to each other. Don't put a mask on. Don't act like everything is all good. Don't have a church you and then a real you. Like stop lying to each other since you have taken off your old self. There's that language, the old you, your old self with its practices And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And right here, I want to point out, this is where thin spaces can actually turn into dry places. Because sin is a separator. Sin is a separator. Sin separates us from God. And a thin space can become a dry place when we don't take off our old self and its practices. When when we don't, as Paul puts it, put to death earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. If if we don't deal with those, if we don't put those to death, if, if we don't throw off the practices of our old self, the thin spaces will turn to dry places. Because sin is a separator. Jesus made a way back for us to experience forgiveness and experience hope and experience restoration. But it doesn't take away from the fact that sin still separates us. We have to constantly be asking Jesus to forgive us because we all have fallen short of the target, which is the glory of God. The full picture of who he is on the earth demonstrating life and righteousness and hope and grace. We all fall short of that. It's not hard to miss. It's easy to miss. And and here's something I've learned in the world of archery. And this was a really hard lesson. If I'm being honest with you, this I did not want to accept this lesson. What's crazy is that if I shoot this arrow and it does not hit where I'm aiming, guess what? It actually did hit where I was aiming. Arrows don't have a mind of their own. I'm not dialed in on a perfect shot. And then as I release the arrow, the arrow goes, 
nah, two inches to the right, and then adjust, and then, no, I'm actually aiming two inches to the right. When I release the arrow, I'm actually aiming where it hits. Sometimes we go, how did I get here? Why am I stuck in this destructive pattern? You aimed there. Our way back to freedom is owning that we need freedom. Am I talking to anybody? It's, a little, it's going to get tough this morning. We'll let you know it's going to be tough. We go where we're pointed. So if you are consistently missing where you think you're aiming, check where you're aiming. Are we setting our mind on things above? Or are we setting our mind on earthly things, surprised then that we're experiencing earthly things? And going, I don't get it. I'm a new creation. But we're not living like a new creation. We're actually going exactly where we're pointing. It's not, it's not easy to hit the target. It's easy to miss the target. The target will remain one inch. Everywhere except for that one inch is a miss. There's way more opportunity to miss than to hit. So I have to be vigilant of where I'm setting my heart, where I'm, where I'm setting my mind, where I'm focusing because it's, it, it's easy to miss. I, I love the way that Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It's a simple verse I'd encourage all of you to memorize. It says this. Let's read it together. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And company is so much more than just the people you're hanging out with. Company is anything that's keeping you company. It's, it's not just people. Your company could be what you're watching on TV. If it's keeping you company, it's your company. And bad company will corrupt good character. Bad company will help you miss. It will not help you hit. Bad company corrupts good character. If, if your company is telling you that it's okay to sleep around, that it's not a big deal, just practice safe sex. You might hear that initially and go, that doesn't sit right with me. It's not what I've heard the truth the Bible say that we're made for our husband and our wife, and it's supposed to be a beautiful thing. But bad company corrupts good character, and what once was unthinkable becomes reasonable. Because bad company corrupts good character. And li listen, there is no such thing as safe sex. No matter how amazing science gets, there is no condom for the heart. We have to put to death sexual 
in morality because every time we give ourselves to a computer screen and we give ourselves to a stranger, we are knitting ourselves together in a way that we were never intended to. Therefore, a thin space becomes a dry place. We've got to put to death all of the lust and sexual immorality because bad company will corrupt good character. What are we feeding ourselves? What company are we keeping that is defining our standard? If your company is constantly telling you that it's economically ridiculous to not move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or even your fiancé before you're married, what sounds unthinkable will soon become reasonable because bad company corrupts good character. We go exactly where we're aiming. I mean, have you felt this with your friends? Like even on the funny stuff, like we'll end up talking the same, saying the same phrases. Like we just have this human thing where we kind of start becoming like who we're hanging around with. When I was living in Seattle, one of my best friends at the time was a dude named Bryn Sankey. Bryn was an Aussie. Now I've lost all of this, so even my illustration right now is not going to be very powerful, but the truth is, is that I hung out with Bryn so much that I would start saying phrases, not even realizing it, with a little bit of an Australian accent. And all of our friends, it was happening to all of us, so it didn't even really stand out to any of us. We didn't even realize it. I was on an airplane, and I'm sitting on an aisle seat. Now, how many of you love traveling? This is glorious, love it. My favorite thing about traveling is when I'm specifically sitting in an aisle seat, it's like the person that runs into every single person down the aisle, it's like they're thinking when they get to the next row of seats that somehow the way they're walking will work, but it's just like watching a series of crashes over and over again. And you're like, dude, your bag didn't fit back there. It's not going to fit here. And so I'm like, you know, kind of trying to pull my shoulder out of the seat, I mean, out of the aisle and get out of the way. And this older gentleman comes walking down, running into everybody, right? And runs into me, not like bumps me, but like slams me. And somehow he's like basically sitting on me and I'm like holding his bag. I'm like, dude, what's up? You know? And, and he's like, oh, young man, I'm so sorry. And without even thinking about it, I'm like, oh, no worries, mate. And he looks at me and his eyes get like this big. And he's like, I love Australia. It's one of my favorite places I've ever been. I love Australians. I love everything about it. And he's just like going. I mean, like, just like, man, oh gosh, it's just every time I go, I just fall more in love with it. And he looks at me, he's like, what city are you from? And I have to be like, bro, I'm from Houston, bro. I'm a Texan. But my company is shaping how you're receiving me. If, if our company is making it normal to badmouth people, to gossip, to point out negativity, bad company will corrupt good character. If your company is constantly pointing out the flaws, even in this community, bad company corrupts good character. 
We have to be vigilant of our company because it's, it's easy to miss. And, and what begins to happen with our company is that we will begin to not just look like, sound like our standards of what we think is right will be influenced by the company that we keep. Now, the beautiful thing about the story of the kingdom is that although bad company corrupts good character, good company can restore broken character. That the power and the influence that company has over us is not just relegated to, as Paul puts it, the earthly things, the old self, the things that we need to put to death, but it also works on the heavenly things. If, you're in a, if your company is together saying, man, we, our standard is the glory of God, our standard is not culture, our standard is Jesus, like, we're not just trying to be better than what's around us. We're trying to get as much of Jesus as possible in us. That your good company, that company is going to push your target closer. That bad company corrupts good character, but good character can heal, or excuse me, good company can restore bad character. We, we, we will find ourselves being influenced positively, either with a community of people that are saying, you know what, I'm going to throw off the old self and I'm going to run after the new self. I'm going to give it everything we have or we're going to be impacted negatively by people saying, I'm going to pull you back into the old self. But our company has an influence on what happens in and around our lives. Bad company corrupts. Good character. That's why Colossians 3.8 says, rid yourself of all such things. Get rid of them. Don't get rid of anger. Get rid of rage. Get rid of malice. Get rid of slander. Get rid of filthy language. Like, stop it. Like, don't hang out with it. Don't allow it to shape you. And if your company is pulling you more into those things and not more out of those things, then I would just say, be careful, bad company corrupts good character. And we will go exactly where we're aimed. And so if we're aiming at Jesus together, guess what? Man, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to miss the mark, but we're going to get closer than if we're aiming at the world. We're going to hit where we're pointing. We're going to go exactly where we're facing. That's why we have to set our face like flint on the things of God. We, 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 have, to, we have to look at where we want to go. We, our eyes have to be on heaven. Because there's a war for our standard. There's a war for what is okay and what's not okay. Depending on who you're hanging out with and what book you have most recently read will influence what you think is right, wrong, and indifferent. I just want to say, church, our standard is Jesus, the glory of God. Nothing short of it. It's not to be better than them. 
It's not to do with okay in culture. It's to, it's to hit the mark, which is the glory of God. That's the target. That's where we're aiming. And yes, we fall short. And here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Is Jesus built a cross-shaped ramp. Not to lower the standard so that we can hit the standard. This is why I love the concept of grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is that Jesus does not view us through the lens of our sin, but through the blood that was shed on the cross. Grace is that we get to live life although our life has earned us death. That's grace, the unmerited favor of God. In Romans 5.20, says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Where sin increases, grace increases. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then it goes on to say in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning? So grace may increase. Isn't it interesting that Paul is addressing the very same tension that we feel in our culture today? Like this whole idea that, man, there's just grace. Just do what you want. There's grace. Live how you want to live. There's grace. Do what you want to do. Just sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. There's grace. Talk however you want to talk. There's grace. And, and it's like, yes, yes, where sin increases, grace increases. And then Paul goes on to say, so should we keep sinning? And then his answer is very simple. By no means. We are those who died to sin. That's our old self. We're supposed to rid ourselves of that. We're supposed to take that off so that we cannot live in it any longer. There's this misconception that grace has lowered the standard. No, grace has given us access to the standard. Grace pushes us into more righteousness. Grace pushes us into more hope. Grace pushes us into more purity. Grace pushes us into more of a righteous lifestyle, not less. Because when you experience the unmerited favor of God, it changes your desires. When you begin to use the unmerited favor of God to satisfy your desires, your thin space will turn to a dry place. Don't expect to have encounter and have your arrow pointed on earthly things because you will hit where you're aiming. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus is our target. Heaven is our standard. And if we want to remain in this thin space of encounter, then we have to deal with the things that are separating us from that place. We can't ignore them. We've got to put them to death. We've got to deal with them. We've got to, we've got to rid ourselves of them. We have to say, no, it's not okay. Like I, 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 I experienced the forgiveness of God. Now I want that to change the way that I live. Forgiveness, repentance of our sin means to turn 180 degrees to face the other direction and begin to move towards the target, which is the glory of God. 
which is Jesus, which is His power and His intimacy and His grace and His life, the way that He attended it before sin entered the earth, Adam and Eve experienced the thin space of relationship with God. And we can, through Jesus and the cross, we can experience this place as a thin space. So why are we blowing it up by the stuff that separates us from that place? We've got to deal with it. I want to dwell here. I want to remain here. So that means that I have to deal with the things that are pushing me away from you. Sin separates us from God. Jesus restores us to God so that this place can remain a thing. So that we can encounter His grace and allow that to throw us into righteousness because there's a connectedness to our righteousness and our rootedness. It matters how we live. There's grace when we blow it. But hear me, church, this does not mean that we live in a holy huddle, that we isolate ourselves. You know the best thing that you can do is you can get around people who don't know Jesus because all of a sudden you begin to clearly realize the things about yourself that are clinging to the old nature and not the new nature. Share the gospel with your friends who don't know the Lord and they'll look at you if you've been living in your old nature and not your new nature and be like, dude, you talk worse about our boss than me. I hear you talking trash about your wife all the time. I hear you bad-mouthing people like crazy. And then we're like, oh, no, but it's all about, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And they're like, well, you look, you feel just like me. This is why our thin space matters. Because we're called to represent Jesus in the earth. And that means that we are to live different than the earth lives. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And so what that means is, is that we're ridding ourselves of the earthly things and we're putting on the heavenly things. We're setting our mind on things above so that our thin space can remain. We can dwell in the presence of God. And when we walk into a room, He's with us. He begins to demonstrate Himself and, and people experience the hope of the kingdom through your life. And they're like, dude, I don't know what it is about you, but when you talk, there's just like a different, there's just something different about it. It's because your thin space is not momentary. It's enduring because we've ridded ourselves of the things that separate us from that place. There's a connection in our righteousness and our rootedness. And, and I believe that this morning, what Jesus wants to do is He wants to allow us to experience grace. Do you know what's amazing? When Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to His disciples in John 16, verse 8, this is how He describes the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the one that Jesus said, it's good that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. This is how he brings, introduces the Holy Spirit to his guys. He says when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the presence of God comes, it shows us the areas in our lives where we're missing the mark. Because it's easy to miss. And, and the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin so that we can repent and experience the unmerited favor of God in light of our misses and walk up that cross-shaped ramp into the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God dwells. He doesn't convict us to shame us. He convicts us so He can draw close to us because sin separates us. 
So he wants to reveal to us the areas in our lives that are separating us from him so that we can repent, turn, and experience a thin space in this place.